Welcome to the busy Latter-day Saint, where righteous desires and living life come together. Here, members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints discuss their challenges and successes in studying the scriptures. I'm your host, Richard Bernard. Before we hear from our guest, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and leave comments. This will help the podcast in reaching a larger audience. Also, invite your friends to listen. Information on how to reach me and a link to my website are in the show notes. The music for this program is by Marvin Goldstein and used with his permission. And now, today's interview. Well, Jack, how are you doing today? Absolutely wonderful. I'm enjoying this beautiful winter day here in Spanish Florida. Yes, it's, I think, our real first snow we've had. It is, it yes. is. We've had quite a bit the last 24 yeah. hours. And I noticed your driveway and everything was cleared. Do you do that or you hire somebody? Actually, my wife and I got out there this morning and cleared it off. It's much easier to do it before the ice starts. Yes, so. it is. Once you get that ice, it is difficult to, um, to uh, get that off. Okay, so you were saying both of you are out there shoveling. Yes, uh, I didn't even ask my wife. She was generous <laughs> enough to uh, join with me. We do a lot of things together, even the work, and so oh, okay. we have a good time. It took us about an hour today, but we had a good conversation and really enjoyed it. No. Well, it was beautiful out this morning, and the weather was nice and fairly warm for this uh, for this snowy yeah. time, and so it just was yeah. great to get out there and do it. I love the winter time. I just um, the summer is the only season I don't like. Yeah. Yeah. If it's fall. Winter, spring, I love it all, but boy, when summer comes, I, it's, it's not my favorite. Now, you're, like me, you're a Californian, a native Californian. Yes, I am. Yes, up in the Sacramento area. Yes, I was born and raised in uh, Santa Barbara, California, and then uh, during my uh, high school years, I was in Camarillo, and then uh, and Moore Park, and then uh, went to Brigham Young University uh, my junior and senior year. That's the first time I had an experience to yeah. see Utah. Well, for my listeners, they don't know, but Camarillo is a beautiful sp spot. It is. It's, yes. it's just gorgeous. I lived yeah. there from 1965 to about 1971, and it was a wonderful time. It was just the, kind of the birth of that, that little town. It grew quite a bit. Yeah, in fact, isn't the saying where the surf meets the... Where there was something like... It's something like yeah, that. Yeah, something the Because you, you have the kind of the, the trees from the mountains coming up right, right by the ocean you there. Do. And it, it's something where the surf meets something or other. Especially in Santa Barbara, that we have those rolling foothills that come yes. right down to the ocean. Yeah. And so that was just yeah. glorious. Really yeah, enjoyed yeah. that. California's got some beautiful spots. It does. It yeah, does. It really does. It's just been going downhill. <laughs> <laughs> Not the spots, but no, no. <laughs> what's happening there. So anyway, so uh, you grew up in there, and you said you attended BYU. Yes. Uh, I was living in Moore Park uh, with my with my dad, my parents were divorced when I was 19, and so uh, during my uh, sophomore year in, in college, I was living on a ranch in Moorpark with my dad and uh, getting ready to, to receive my associate's degree. And uh, one day I asked my dad, uh, do you have any recommendations of a good school where I could get my bachelor's degree in business management? I love business and wanted to pursue that. And right off the cuff, he said, I've heard some great things about the business program at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. Maybe you should check it out. And uh, I, you know, I, I have great respect for my dad. Uh, and so uh, I just applied to BYU as a non-member and uh, was accepted. Um, and uh, I told all my friends that uh, I would never join the church. Don't, don't think that I'm going up there to be uh, 
brainwashed by those Mormons. I'm not going to do that. And uh, when I got up there, uh, I had an absolutely incredible experience. I think one of the defining moments for me was my 13-hour ride from uh, Southern California to Provo. I had an old 1960 Chevy Biscayne loaded up with everything that I, all my earthly possessions. And during that time, I had a little bit of fear and trepidation. I was going to a new town that I'd never been to before with uh, a campus of predominantly Latter-day Saints. And I was wondering how I would fit in. And so I had this little epiphany and I thought, well, I'm not gonna join the church, but one thing that I will do is I will try everything that these Mormons do one time. And if there's anything that I don't like, I'll remove it from the plate. And if I like it, I'll continue to do it. And I think that was a, a turning point, a deciding factor for me. When I got to BYU, that uh, wonderful uh, environment, I lived on uh, the seventh floor of Deseret Towers with 43 other young men, most of whom were freshmen getting ready to go on missions. And it was just an experience that I had never had in my life. And so there was not a single thing I ever did take off that plate. I really enjoyed it. My roommate uh, was a, a convert of about two or three years. He had joined the church in uh, the Navy in Hawaii. And when he was discharged, he decided to go to BYU. And so we were first, first semester roommates together. And he was just, uh, he was about six months older than I was. So, but he was a freshman. But uh, the two of us got along famously and he was a great role model. Um, and it didn't take long before I started um, really thinking, maybe, maybe I will join this church. And uh, I can remember having to take uh, two semesters of the Book of Mormon because whether or not you're a member or a non-member, you, you were required to do that. And I was fascinated. I, we would read approximately maybe a couple chapters per, uh, per class. And I had it Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I loved coming home and reading to see what was going to happen. What was Lehi and his family going to do? What was going to happen in the wilderness? How are they going to make it to the promised land? And it, it felt more than just a story to me. And so I, I really enjoyed that experience. And then, um, then I had a, a unique experience, probably two or three months into my uh, experience at BYU. I got there late August, so probably sometime in the fall. I attended a Sunday school class and, and sacrament meeting. This was before the, the consolidated meeting schedule. And the resident assistant, Warren Abbott, uh, was the Sunday school teacher. And on that specific Sunday, he uh, taught a lesson on the mission and the ministry of the prophet Joseph Smith. But he did something that I'd never seen before. About five minutes before the end of the class, he wrapped up a wonderful, what I would consider a spiritual lesson, and then uh, bore his testimony of Joseph Smith, and then opened up the last five minutes to the bearing of testimonies. And I was taken a little aback from that. Um, I had seen that in a sacrament meeting before, so I was familiar with that, but I'd never seen this format in a Sunday school class. And so I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and no one got up. And I've since thought that um, sometimes when there's a spiritual experience, a lot of times we're just reflective. We're just thinking about things, and we don't always jump to our feet. And I think that's kind of the, the mood of that day. And then I had a, a wonderful idea. What if I get up 
and just say a few good things about the Prophet Joseph. And then somebody else will get up and then five minutes will be up and we'll be done. Little did I know at that time, or had, I, had it occurred to me, that it's impossible to get up and say a few good words about the Prophet Joseph. Either he was a charlatan and a fraud, or he was a prophet of God. But in my naive state at that point, I didn't know. So I rose to my feet, I opened my mouth, and I was gonna say a few good things about Joseph. And I felt this overwhelming feeling that I had never felt before in my life. I heard myself say, I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. And it was with clarity, it was with conviction, it almost felt like I was outside my body listening to myself speak. And I remember reading a short time later uh, a talk from Marion G. Romney, who was at that time the second counselor in the first presidency. President Romney said, a man or a woman will know when they speak by the Spirit of the Holy Ghost when it reveals truth to them the instant they speak. And so it was with me. I sat down probably just a, a moment or two later, but when I sat down, I knew something that I did not know when I stood up. So I had this testimony of Joseph. I had developed a testimony of the Book of Mormon by that time. And so what was left to do? Yeah. So I decided, I think it's time for me to be baptized. So I called my dad. I said, Dad, I've decided to join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He said, son, I'm proud of you. Congratulations. Mm. I hung up the phone and go, oh, that's great. <laughs> so now let me call my mom. I called my mom. I said, mom, I've decided to join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Son, I think you've been brainwashed. Mm. Would you do me a favor? I said, sure, mom, what would you like? She said, well, it's getting close to uh, the Christmas break. And I was planning to be baptized just before Christmas mm -hmm. up at BYU. She said, do me a favor, come home to California, stay with me for the two weeks, see your old friends, do your old things. And if at the end of two weeks, you still have this desire to be baptized, I won't prevent it. So I said, mom, that's not too much to ask. I'll be happy mm -hmm. to do that for you. So I went home knowing full well that uh, I wasn't gonna change my mind. I had two great weeks with my mom and my sister, saw my friends, had wonderful experiences. At the end of that, I said, Mom, I'm going home to be baptized. She said, okay. So at that point, my roommate, John Lesko, uh, had uh, really been pushing to baptize me. And so uh, I'd, been, I'd been putting him off, and I was taking the missionary discussions. And at that point, uh, the missionary said, we have a lay clergy, which I was aware of, and you can have anyone baptize you that holds the Aaronic priesthood, the office of a priest, or the Melchizedek priesthood, but they must be worthy. So think about it, ponder, pray about it, and then ask someone worthy to do that. So I thought about it, I pondered, I prayed, and I came up with what I considered was a revelation. I'm not so sure now. And I wrote a letter to the church office building and asked Harold B. Lee, the president of the church, to baptize me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I did that. You know, at that point, you just don't have the reverence for the general yeah. authorities and others that you, that you grow into. <laughs> so um, I, was, I was in my, uh, was up on the seventh floor of Desert Towers with my roommate, John Lesko. It was a Friday afternoon, about four o'clock. We're getting ready to go down to the Morris Center and have uh, dinner, and the phone rings big long, long cord with the phone, it's always on John's side. John, at that point, was a drama major, and John could not answer the phone without saying some slapstick remark, and so this was no different. So he picks up the phone, says some crazy thing, 
goes as white as a sheet and gets very formal and says, just a moment, please. And he hands the phone to me with both hands. He says, it's Elder D. Arthur Haycock, President Harold B. Lee's mm -hmm. personal secretary, and he wants to speak to you. <laughs> and so I had a 45-minute conversation with uh, Elder Haycock. He was the nicest gentleman you could ever experience. He asked me how I came to uh, know the church, and I, ex I explained my experience at BYU. And he knew some people from Santa Barbara, where I was living at the time. And so uh, at the, at, he, he mentioned that uh, President Lee was going to be at an area conference in London and would not be able to uh, baptize me. And fortunately, I was smart enough not to push for another day. We just let that whole thing go. So after about 45 minutes, I hung up, and John was riveted. He was just looking at me the whole time. He said, what was that all about? And I said, well, I just asked the president of the church to baptize me. He said, you California freak. He was from New Jersey. And so uh, at that point, I said, John, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to have you baptize me. And, so, and John did. He baptized me, and then Warren Abbott, the resident assistant, confirmed me a member. And every year on the 13th of January, which was my baptismal day, I call John. We're, we're still the best of friends. He lives in Taylorsville. And I thank him for the, the role model that he was, the great example. And then always before I hang up, I said, now, John, you do remember, you were my second choice. <laughs> so that's kind of how I joined the church. Interesting story. So then you... Uh, graduated from BYU in business? Yes, I graduated from BYU uh, two years later, went up as a junior, so I spent my junior and senior year there. And then just before I graduated, I had an epiphany that I should go on a mission. Hmm. I was dating a young woman. In fact, we were engaged to be married. We'd been, we dated for four years, two years of junior college. And then I baptized her four weeks after I was baptized. She was going to University of California, Santa Barbara. And then she came up and we graduated our senior year together. But one afternoon, she lived on the same block. We lived off campus the second year. And one day she came over to our, our house where I was living with some return missionaries. And she observed uh, a conversation that uh, they were having and that I was kind of listening to. And I was just captivated by these mission, return missionaries and their experiences. Not just the going to New Zealand or someplace exotic, but the experiences that they had with the people. And as we were walking the next day to church, she, she said, Jack, I noticed that you were enthralled by those experiences. I go, oh, weren't they just the best? She said, they really were. She said, I know that we're expecting to get married uh, in, the, in the future, but I don't want you to ever regret not serving a mission if that's something that is your heart's desire. And it was like, a window or a door in a room that I had never seen before. I had just never even contemplated we were going to get married. But then this overwhelming desire to serve a mission entered into me. And so uh, the next week I went to my branch president. They were branch presidents at BYU back then before bishops. And I said, uh, President Chris, what do you think of me serving a mission? He said, I thought you were getting married. I said, well, we can do that. But what about a mission first? And he said, I think that's a great idea. So I went ahead and we had a few tears because we both wanted to get married, but decided that this would be the right thing to do. And so I had to decide to serve a mission and was called to the Germany-Homburg mission, which took all of northern Germany and the city of West Berlin. This was during the, the Cold War and the Iron Curtain. And that's where I met my wife, Lisa. She was a missionary uh, two weeks behind me in Germany. We served in two or three of the same cities, but never at the same time. My first city was Berlin. I flew out the day that she took the train in and 
Braunschweig was one of her first areas, was one of my last areas. And so we saw each other once for five minutes just before she went home. Nothing special, just a nice visit in a zone conference. And then uh, I came home six months later and uh, two uh, of our favorite missionary companions that were getting married uh, reintroduced us. And I took her out on a Thursday night and asked her to marry me 77 hours later on Sunday. And what happened to the first young lady? You know, uh, we've stayed good friends ever since. Um, I did get a dear John about an, a, a oh, month. Oh, did. Uh, I did, about a, year, <laughs> about a year into it. And when I got home, she still wasn't married. Um, just, we just kind of grown apart, mm -hmm. I think. And so what happened was uh, several years later, after Lisa and I were married, we were, on a, we were gonna go on a double date with her older sister and her boyfriend. And uh, this, this young woman was coming into town from Philadelphia, she was working on her doctorate at that point. And so we decided, why don't we bring her along and we'll set up uh, a young man in our ward. And so we set them up on a date. Um, they ended up dating after that and they got married. And I was the bishop at that time, and so I interviewed both of them for their temple recommends. Mm -hmm. And this young woman asked my wife to be her escort going oh. through the temple for the first wow. time. So when they were in the, um, oh, I don't know what they call it, the, the bride's room, I guess, at the Los Angeles temple, the matron came in and said, how do you two know each other? And they both smiled and said, it's a long story. <laughs> both having been engaged to me. But. Well, you got married, and children-wise, what do you have? We have four wonderful children. We have uh, a son, Jason, who lives in Provo, who's 42. We have, uh, and he works for BYU. He's an IT specialist there. We have a daughter, Allison, who's 40, that lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, and she's the CFO for um, the Mayo Clinic for uh, Arizona, both in Scottsdale and Phoenix. We have a son, Jared, who's just turned 37, lives in Sacramento, and works for Siemens which uh, builds uh, light rails and trains, and he's a project coordinator there. And we have uh, a younger daughter, uh, Ashley, who is uh, 31, and she lives in Elk Grove, just south of Sacramento, with her husband and two children. So uh, we have uh, four wonderful children, four wonderful spouses, and uh, 12, great, 12 wonderful grandchildren. Okay, so you got 12 grandchildren. So do you uh, visit? with them often? We do, we try to. Uh, we moved up here from California August of last year, and so we go down uh, as frequently as we can. COVID's been kind of slowing things down, and then they'll come up as well. We had uh, our younger daughter come up for Thanksgiving and our son from Provo, and mm -hmm. so we had 13 of us here for about a week, and that was kind of fun. And, Very good. Uh, so we get together with them as often as we can. We, we really enjoy it. Now, you mentioned you served as a bishop. What other church callings have you had? I served as a bishop in Santa Barbara for seven years, from uh, the beginning of 1988 to the end of 1994, just about four months shy of, of seven years. And I was an elders quorum president before that, ironically, for seven years. And then uh, after bishop, I was uh, a high counselor for uh, about six months before. This was all in, Calif in Santa Barbara. And then we moved to uh, to Sacramento, and uh, I was a uh, stake young men president um, uh, back on the high council again in Sacramento. And then I was called in uh, 2006 to be the stake president of the Elk Grove California Stake, which is one of two stakes in that area, and served that in that capacity for nine years. And then uh, for about a year. I was a ward mission leader before being called to be the president of the Wisconsin-Milwaukee mission from 2016 to 2019. And then when we uh, returned home, 
uh, Lisa and I received. That was our first calling together as being a mission president companion, which we loved. We were with each other 24-7 and loved it, loved our missionaries. We often say that we uh, left on our mission with four children and came back with 509. <laughs> and then uh, when we returned home, we were both called again to, together to, um, to serve as uh, primary teachers. Oh. So we have been teaching the seven and eight-year-olds. And we have uh, eight wonderful children in our class. And we were thinking about sending an email to all our missionaries saying, I hope you're still doing missionary work because we're baptizing eight people this year. <laughs> Don't have to tell them it's our missionary kids. <laughs> but we love the calling. We just, it's just been a great life. As a stake president, what did you, what's the one thing you pulled away from there from your experience as a stake president? As, as a stake president um, and as a bishop, I, I would even say as, a, of course, as a mission president, the thing that I think I have felt more than anything from the very onset is the way the Spirit touches your heart in such a way that you develop a love for your flock that um, you could have in no other way. It's, it's possible to love people, but with the Spirit, it, it touches your heart that you truly, these people become more than just a congregation or a flock. You just want to serve them in any way that you can. You, you're, Overwhelming desire is to help each and every individual return back to the presence of Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. And when you have that, revelation opens and you're able to think what this specific person needs. Um, I love the comment that uh, I heard years ago was that uh, we should always be focusing on the next ordinance. And for those in leadership positions, they should be focusing on what that next ordinance is for their congregation, whether it be a primary class or whether it be a stake in Zion. We have a stewardship over those wonderful people. And as we truly reflect on where they are and where they're going, um, revelation flows if we ask for it as to what we can do to help those individuals get to the next level, that next ordinance. Sometimes it's the sacrament, sometimes it's receiving the priesthood. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. It's just that eternal progression helping them get back to Father. Yes. Well, now, what about scriptures? How do they figure into your life? They are a huge part. Um, if a day goes by, and very rarely does it, where I don't uh, feast in the scriptures, I feel like I, I'm malnourished. Uh, there have been times in my life, especially early on, where I was perhaps a little bit uh, less um, concerned about my scripture study but uh, as I've gotten older, I've recognized uh, many decades ago the necessity of studying it, uh, studying the scriptures daily. Um, I had a, a counselor in the stake presidency that was, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily a scriptorian, but he would pull things out of the scriptures that people would just go, wow, how did you do that? And I'll never forget his reply. He said, I, I study two pages of the scriptures every day. But before I start, I convince myself that I'm on an abandoned island and that these are the only two pages of scriptures that there are. Mm. There's none other. And so I am going to strive to glean everything I can out of these two pages. I'm going to go over them. I'm going to think differently. And it was amazing the insights that he would get as he would study two pages a day as if they were the only pages standard works available. And so I, 
I've tried to do that, uh, probably not as much as he did, but it was, uh, it was a, a great experience. One of the things that, go ahead. Um, it seems to me to do that, what's happening is you're not just reading, you're focusing. And, yes. and you're pondering a lot. Yeah, we don't want to speed yeah. read the scriptures or right. say, okay, you know, let me check this thing <laughs> off. Um, really digging into the meat, really trying to, you know, as we, as we read the Book of Mormon, for instance, we, we who have testimonies of that know that that was written by many different individuals and their writing styles are different and it's fun to, to dig deeper into the scriptures and see if we can kind of understand their meaning as opposed to a different passage written by someone else. And so uh, it can be not only educational and spiritual, but it can actually be fun studying the scriptures. Several years ago, I started a project. Uh, I'm still finishing it, but uh, I, if you, if you look at my scriptures, you'll notice that uh, by far, the most underlining is in the footnotes. What I've done is I've gone through, um, I'm about two-thirds of the way through the Old Testament. I've done the Book of Mormon. Um, I go through and every footnote that is not a topical guide, which most of them are. So for instance, if it says Hebrew, H-E-B, versus capital H, little E-B, that's just the, the Book of Hebrews. But when it's capital H-E-B, that's the Hebrew equivalent of such and such. And so I will highlight that, I'll mark the passage, and then I'll put a little red dot where that is. Um, so that when I'm reading it, I'll stop, I'll look to see what that Hebrew trans, uh, equivalent is, and give me some further light and knowledge um, I'll also look at, I'll do the same thing for the Joseph Smith translations. Um, a lot of them, I don't know if it's the majority of them, but a lot of them are right there in the footnotes. The longer ones, of course, are back in the Joseph Smith translation section. But I will highlight those and put that little, that little dot in red on my scriptures so that when I come to one of those passages, I won't just glean over it. Because there's so many things that that we read in the scriptures, and if you don't have some type of a, of a footnote or a highlight, you go right through it, not even recognizing that you missed a gem. And so I'll do that. Um, sometimes there will be um, a word definition that is, uh, maybe the word that we're reading is a little archaic, and it might not mean what it means to us now. And so I'll go through that, and I'll do those. And then there's just a very few BD, Bible Dictionary, mm -hmm. and uh, not many at all, but I've highlighted those as well so that I can go into the Bible Dictionary and maybe get some more knowledge on this specific topic. Mm -hmm. If it was important enough for them to put uh, a footnote on that, I'll go in and do it. So I have, you know, maybe three or four, uh, sometimes there's none, but uh, it can get up to five, six, seven different footnotes on a page. And, uh, you know, the New Testament has quite a few in the, in the Gospels. And I have found that by studying and, and focusing on that, and then when I get to those, it takes me more time, but that's, time is not of, the, of essence when you're studying the scriptures. And so I'll, I'll go into those and dig a little bit deeper. And 
So you use the hard copy then? You're probably using I what, do. what, I what do. we call a quad. Yeah, uh, I do. Have you ever used any of the, uh, like the gospel library at all? Yeah, I have. I've enjoyed that as well. It seems to me, and I don't know if I'm just old-fashioned, but I just love the written word. Mm -hmm. I, love, I love to touch the pages. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm old school that way. Uh, Are you still using the same scriptures you had on your mission? Uh, on this mission, I am. Uh, what I did is I purchased uh, brand new scriptures in 2016 before I became mission president. And so I've used those for the three years, and I've been home for a year and a half now. So I've only had them for about four and a half years. But I do. Um, I think it's important. I see people who have scriptures that are just well used, yes. and, and they're beautiful. They're beautiful. Yeah. But I remember, and I don't know who it was, but I've heard some of the brethren say that methodically every few years we should start that process over again and for me um, I'm seeing the scriptures through a new light it's uh, it's like a um, revolving door that continues to go ever upward um, when I read the scriptures when I read the scriptures and studied the scriptures as a convert of two years in Germany I gleaned insights that are different from what I received as a bishop and what I received as a stake president, as a mission president, as a primary teacher. And so I think it's good to start with a fresh set of scriptures, I would say maybe every five or six years. Um, have some time to really mark those up and really study them, but then start fresh and, and, and be open to the Spirit to give you new insights and new meanings. You can always keep those and go back to them and refer to them, which you should. But going through that process and starting again is fresh and uh, you will surprise yourself on the new insights that you get from doing that. Yes. I've, I've heard that advice well for many years that um, a lot of the professors at BYU in the religious department, that's what they do. They, they just kind of start over. I think it's and, a great you know, idea. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, very few of us will read the same book over and over again, mm -hmm. but the scriptures is a completely different yes. situation. Yes, it and is. So, we need to teach ourselves how to learn continuously from the scriptures. It's not just we, okay, we're done with that, let's put that aside. We continue to grow and uh, it's, a, it's a challenge but it's an exciting thing as we strive to become more like our Heavenly Father and like our Savior Jesus Christ, our thoughts and our actions should mirror theirs. And if we're doing that, as we're spiritually maturing throughout life, we are going to see different, newer, deeper insights to the scriptures than we've ever seen before. Absolutely. Now, as far as scripture study, uh, you and your wife, what do you do? Well, we spend uh, time every day, usually towards the end. We like to do it uh, after dinner. We have uh, uh, Come Follow Me. We'll study the scriptures together. So, of course, we're just wrapping up uh, Moroni chapter 10 this week. Uh, and it's been a great experience because I love her insights and hopefully she likes mine and we, we enjoy that. Um, personally, I will study the scriptures. Uh, I'm always studying the Book of Mormon um, 365 days a year. But I like to also study other standard works. So I've been, for the last year and a half, I've been going through the Old Testament. I just finished uh, Psalms and I'm in Proverbs now. And I enjoy that. Uh, obviously, uh, in a couple of weeks, I'll be starting Doctrine and Covenants. And uh, it's been uh, it's been, it's been a refreshing thing. I, I enjoy, always, I, I can't go a day, it seems like, without reading the Book of Mormon. But I also like to immerse myself in the other standard works. 
And I feel that uh, even in things like the, the Old Testament, um, I get insights which help me understand Nephi and Lehi better. And so uh, I think there's some great things to be gleaned from the other standard works as well. Of course, the Doctrine and Covenants with the prophecies, uh, those are just, those are precious gems. So, love. And the New Testament, oh, how I love that. How did you handle the scriptures uh, with a growing family? Uh, challenges like anyone else. Uh, we, would, uh, we would take turns reading. I think we would each read three verses and, uh, and try to get something out of those. With, the, with young children, it's a little bit harder to do. But I, I think that the, um, the repetition and the consistency has really helped. Our oldest son, Jason, here in Provo, uh, has a great scripture study with his family, and they, they don't spend a lot of time, but they spend a, a few moments, precious moments every day as a family studying the scriptures, and I think it's, it's really helped. Um, one of the things that we have been encouraging our children and grandchildren to do, which was not available when we were raising a family, is to really uh, immerse themselves in the uh, Book of Mormon videos. Those are yes. absolutely priceless. And if a person is not taking full advantage of those, that is just a, a shame. Just the same as with the New Testament videos. Those are things that uh, have an incredible spirit. And as you read and then as you watch and observe, um, they come to life and you start to understand more than you have before. I love to watch the videos and then go back and read and then maybe catch some of the nuances, some of the things that I hadn't caught. Maybe there's an inflection in a voice or the way the Savior says something or the way Alma uh, quotes something that I hadn't caught before. And so um, I think today, for today's young families and all of us, um, having the, the Book of Mormon videos and the, the uh, New Testament videos are something, not just for entertainment purposes, they are very entertaining, but to, to really focus on the spirit of what the intention is, yeah. what, what these great authors are portraying, and uh, really brings a wonderful spirit into the home. Well, I think that's a wonderful idea. I never thought about doing that to, I enjoy watching them, Oh yeah. but then to uh, go back and read what you've just watched, uh, I think it's a great idea. Good. Well, <clears throat> we're nearing our time here, and um, you do not know this, but I always ask those that I'm interviewing to if they would mind bearing their testimony. Would you mind doing that? I would love to do that. Okay. Um, I have a very sound testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am grateful for my Heavenly Father. I am grateful that I am one of His spirit children, one of His sons. I am grateful for his love and for the love that he has shown each of us in allowing his only begotten son to be sacrificed for the world and for each of us individually. I love him for that. I love my Savior, Jesus Christ. I am grateful that he was willing to submit to that bitter cup given to him of the Father. But in that, I feel his love, not only to be obedient to the Father, but I know with all my heart that he loves me and he loves each and every one of our Heavenly Father's children equally. And that just brings so much joy to my heart. And I'm grateful, I love the Holy Ghost, and I'm grateful for that 
opportunity to feast on the Spirit, to have, to strive to be worthy as much as I can, to have that Spirit guide, direct, influence, teach, uh, warn, and do all the things that the Spirit does for me. I'm grateful for Joseph Smith. I know that he was a prophet of God. From that moment in the Heber J. Grant building, second floor, listening to a return missionary give a talk on Joseph Smith, a lesson on Joseph Smith, I knew from that moment and have never doubted that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. It bore such testimony to me. And I know that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the true Church of Jesus Christ on the earth today with all of the power, the priesthood authority that uh, is needed to guide and direct the affairs of the church today. I'm grateful for President Russell M. Nelson. I know that he is a prophet of God. I absolutely know it with all my heart. And I am grateful and want to follow him and all of the brethren in the things that they encourage us to do. I know that if we do, that we'll be on solid ground. And in closing my testimony, I would just say that I am grateful for the opportunity to strive in this life to work out my salvation. Many of the Lord's children never had that opportunity. We're in the dispensation of the fullness of times. And it's really a, a sacred experience to live just at the, the coming of the, the second coming, whenever that is. We know the, the wrapping it up phase is here and it's a great experience. But I am so grateful that uh, I can strive with all my heart to become like Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. It's, it's precious to me. And as I look at striving to uh, arrive at the celestial kingdom, I think it's more about identity than it is about geography. It's not as much about getting to a place as it is getting becoming someone. And as we strive to become more like our Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ, I believe that we will arrive at the destination. I bear that testimony and that witness. I know these things are true, and I'm grateful to bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.